Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, we think about Kirby Smart a lot, and there's a word I think that maybe sometimes you don't fully associate with Smart, but you heard like three different times while talking about the same player the other day. And so after the first scrimmage this past Saturday, this feels like a pretty good place to begin our show here today, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. The other reason why I want to start this way for our show here today is because I think it sort of starts to stand up as a little bit of a formation to an answer to a question that I admitted last week that I wasn't quite sure of. Like One of the things you've heard me say recently here is is that for a Georgia rushing attack this season that A, I think has a chance to be better than it was last year, B, might actually need to be better than it was a year ago for Georgia to fulfill all of its season-long goals. I, I said before, I'm not quite so sure what's best for UGA. Is it the version of Georgia we saw in, like say, 2017, 2018, when you had tandems of running backs, two different guys getting more than 150 carries, both those guys going over big totals, uh, and and that led the way to a lot of rushing success for UGA. Is that better, or is something like we've seen the last couple of years, where it's been a little bit more of an ensemble cast? Now, last year, you know, Zamir and James Cook ended up getting a lot of carries between the two of them, them themselves, but slightly more ensemble even last year than it had been in some of the previous years under Kirby Smart. Like, which formation for the Georgia running back room kind of makes the most sense for UGA here this year? Well, I think over the course of the last week, we're starting to get some of those questions answered just a little bit. And as I mentioned briefly a moment ago, a lot of praise coming from one of those running backs in particular. I want to talk about Kenny McIntosh. And I want to be really careful here because my, my purpose in all of this is not to do what maybe I probably do from time to time because I do kind of like doing this. I'm not trying to be a carnival barker here. I'm not trying to like, you know, grab onto a phrase and sort of oversell this. I am simply speaking as someone who is both a fan of UGA, a guy who hosts a show about Georgia, a guy who's just sort of genuinely curious about the team and trying to figure out, hey, who am I most interested in seeing for this upcoming season? And based on some of the stuff that Smart said on Saturday, based on some of the stuff that Georgia running backs coach Dell McGee said last week, I think on the list of players that I am most excited about seeing for the upcoming season – I think you've got to put Kenny McIntosh pretty squarely on that list, on your shortest of short list of guys that have a chance to be really entertaining to watch this fall. Smart was asked directly about a moment for McIntosh during the scrimmage, and Smart didn't hold back on using the word great. That's not a word we often hear Smart use. He's slow to say things like that, but didn't hesitate to say that in a specific context about McIntosh from Saturday. This is a fun way to start our show today. This is Kirby from Saturday on McIntosh. He had a great run, but, I mean, to be honest, it was great blocking too. I mean, Kenny's had a great camp. I mean, he's picked up pressures, played really physical, caught the ball out of the backfield. I mean, everything that he wants to do at the next level in our offense, we ask him to do, and he's done a good job of that. I think Kenny would be the first to tell you he's got to really work hard to maintain his weight and take really good care of his body. I think Coach Dell, Coach McGee's doing a great job of taking care of Kenny, and uh, he, he's done a good job. 
So listen, you hear Kirby Smart saying those kinds of things. Now, he's always got to throw in like the addendum to the sentence, right? The caveat is that conjunction. He's always sort of got to add that to it of like, he's got to take care of his weight and he's got to do this. He's got to do that. It's like Smart's never going to allow himself to go too far with a compliment before he kind of turns it into a coaching point. And we just sort of know that about Kirby. And most of us, I think, kind of like that about Kirby. But when you hear him saying he had a great run, it was great blocking, he's had a great camp, and all the the thing of that he's doing, and, and all the list of things that are you know that, that Smart views worthy of compliment, if that doesn't get you more excited about watching McIntosh this fall, I simply don't know what to tell you. That's a pretty interesting statement to hear from Smart. That as a Georgia running back room kind of fills its way around the dark, you're trying to decide what is the pecking order going to be? How many of these guys can we really lean on here this season? If you're Georgia, how many of those guys can can you give a, a substantial number of carries to? Well, it sounds like right now, McIntosh, this camp has been a little bit of a tone setter. That's a pretty complimentary statement there from Smart. And what's interesting is it also kind of ties into something that McIntosh's running backs coach, Del McGee, his position coach, said when he spoke to the media there last week. More praise here from McIntosh, who kind of stands out as maybe one of the more intriguing figures for the dogs thus far in the late summer. Here's McGee on the same topic. He can do everything. He can run inside of tackles. He can run outside of tackles. He's really good on the perimeter. Has really, really good hands. Uh, probably one, some of the best hands since DeAndre. Uh, he's good at running routes. Uh, he's a physical blitz pickup on third down so he's definitely a complete back uh, and he's, he's learned a lot from James and Zamir and it's also a good example of just like James and Zamir was of just staying the course not being too anxious to enter the NFL or enter the transfer portal uh, just being patient and uh, you know hopefully all his hard work and his patience are going to pay off this year. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for him, and he's definitely going to be an integral part of our offense, and he'll be relied upon heavily. Don't you love the idea of McIntosh being a complete back? That's the phrase that McGee uses there. The kind of guy that doesn't tip the offense's hand when he's on the field. Hey, it could be a between-the-tackles run. It could be a reception. Kirby talked earlier this summer about how they want to grow NFL running backs around here, and that means making guys – capable pass catcher something that James Cook definitely did and that's one of the reasons why the Buffalo Bills made him a second round pick and it's one of the reasons why uh Cook's earned a little bit of buzz up there in western New York with the way that he's kind of started his training camp there too because he kind of knows how to do that and McIntosh kind of cut from some of the same cloth but not just a receiving threat of the backfield also a true runner there too both McGee and Smart kind of talking about that but the purpose of all this is not to say this is going to be Kenny McIntosh's team. They're going to feed him over and over again, a la DeAndre Swift in 2019. That's not what I'm necessarily saying here. What I'm saying here is, is that McIntosh may have stepped to the forefront right now as helping set the tone for the running back room, but you get the sense there are other guys who are part of this too. Now, we know that Kendall Milton was banged up and did not participate in the scrimmage on Saturday. Smart talked a little bit about that. You'll hear that more in a moment. But you also are kind of hearing some more of this chatter as it relates to Dejon Edwards. And some of the things specifically being said about Edwards I find to be pretty interesting. So I've asked, is this an ensemble situation or is this a tandem of backs like it's been before? Is this sort of one guy getting the majority of the carries? Well, in the case of Dejon Edwards, for a couple of reasons, it sort of seems like right now he's not going to be denied. And if Smart is saying really good things about McIntosh right now, and he is, He's also pretty complimentary of Dejon Edwards a bit there as well. Once again, smart from Saturday, both on the rise of Edwards, kind of out of the role of just sort of late game player, 
and the current health situation of Kendall Milton, two of those backs who kind of exist around Kenny McIntosh right now. More from Kirby. Dejan's had a, a really good camp. I mean, this guy's playing hard, playing physical, knows his assignments inside and out. He's picking up pressures. I mean, he's catching the ball in the backfield. So, uh, to me, I've been really pleased with what he's been able to do. Kendall has too, but just the last couple of days, we, we've held him with the, uh, the hamstring. Yeah, so listen, on, on the part of the Milton thing here for a moment, no one denies that talent there, and Georgia fans, I think, are really eager to see more of Kendall this year in a situation where this gets a chance to be more of a showcase opportunity for him this season than it may have been when you had James Cook and Zamir White on the same team the last couple of years. So it's simply a matter of, hey, shaking off this little bit of a hamstring thing, and I know there have been you know, a handful of like sort of, uh, you know, dings and, and, and tweaks here and there that have kind of kept Milton from being on the field. So you get the impression that if he can move past this hamstring thing and if he can, you know, be back fully healthy again, then he's going to be very much a part of this conversation. So Mark kind of suggested that there. But with the guys who are currently healthy, once again, I, I take it to mean something that Smart, fresh off having said, oh, Kenny McIntosh had a great camp. Dejon Edwards has also had a very good camp. Once again, kind of knowing how slow Smart is to just sort of throw praise around unless it's truly deserved. And in the case of McIntosh, for sure, and Edwards there as well, it seems like it is. And maybe for a guy like Dell McGee, who these are his guys in his position room, he may be a little bit more willing to throw compliments their way than Smart might be, just kind of knowing the personalities of the two guys. But once again, it's the specific nature of the praise that they're getting that I think speaks well to what the Georgia running back room might be here this year. In the case of McIntosh, one of the things you hear a lot, in fact, you heard this yourself, was, oh, there's patience here. You know, a lot of guys who maybe would have left and looked to go transfer portal or, 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 you know, tune out and think about their next spot because they're not getting a ton of carries. In the case of Kenny McIntosh, he sort of waited his turn, and now he's ready for that opportunity. And once again, some of that same sort of selfless attitude, and we've all seen this ourselves, uh, Dejon Edwards, when he's played late in games, has given you hard yards. This is a guy that has been kind of a human victory cigar, you know, coming in when Georgia's up big and getting you easily out of the game and onto the next week. Well, it's right. Now you get the sense it's time for more of that. That, okay, that's what, Mac and, uh, that's what Edwards may have done in previous years, but that's not what he wants to do this year, nor is it what this coaching staff wants him to do there as well. Kirby kind of alluded to that. Del McGee again from last week on exactly what they're seeing from Dejon Edwards now that he's waited for his moment to have an opportunity for a much larger role here for the dogs, Del McGee again. He's really quiet. He's not going to be a, a boastful guy. He doesn't talk a whole lot. Uh, but what you're going to get is what you see on the Saturdays that you've seen. He's very unselfish. He, he closed out a lot of games. He wasn't a guy that was pouting because he didn't get in uh, earlier in the game. He uh, adds value and has a role on special teams, and that's a very, very important component of our success on the football field. Uh, he, he's going to be a competitor, and he's having a great uh, camp thus far, and he had a great spring too. So expecting great things out of Dejon, and he's, you know, he's graduated into a role where he's going to get snaps. I love that at the end. He has graduated into a role where he's going to get snaps. This isn't the human victory cigar anymore. This isn't, you know, fourth quarter, 12 carries, get you out of there, move you on to next week. This is a guy who's going to be a much more focal part of the a focal point of the game plan earlier in the game, at least if you listen to Del McGee closely, that's kind of what you get. Now, understand my point here. I'm not saying that this is going to be the Dejon Edwards, Kenny McIntosh show at running back for Georgia this season. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. I think that there are some interesting things being said right now about the two incoming freshman running backs, Branson Robinson and Andrew Paul. In fact, 
it's interesting enough, and I'm actually going to save that conversation for like later on this week and sort of focus more on those guys in particular. And I do truly believe that Kendall Milton's also a very big part of all this too when he is healthy, and you certainly hope that's the case for him sooner rather than later. Based on the way that Smart described that hamstring injury, you're left to believe it could be, and it probably will be sooner rather than later. It doesn't seem like it's all that serious. In fact, I know Chris Milton, his father, tweeted, and then I guess maybe deleted, but originally tweeted that it wasn't a serious injury that he's dealing with. So you're left to believe that that pretty soon here, Kendall's going to be back fully healthy again, and he's a big part of all this too. So it's not me saying, hey, McIntosh and Edwards, that's going to be your two-headed monster running back. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is this is that we have wondered what running back would look like, feel like for the dogs here this season. Thus far this summer, it certainly seems like Edwards and McIntosh are doing a good job for setting the tone for UGA. There's seemingly a a hungry spirit here. Edwards wants more carries. McIntosh, who we've seen obviously in a pretty big role for Georgia, he's ready for even more as well. And they get a chance to help kind of redefine this position in the aftermath of Zamir White and James Cook both moving on to the NFL. We potentially may hear from a lot of Georgia running backs here this season. That could happen because of the luxury of it or because of the necessity of it if somebody gets hurt. But no matter how that plays out then, nice to hear Kenny McIntosh having good things being said about him. Nice to hear Dejon Edwards having good things being said about him. The specific kind of praise, the way they're working, the selfless attitude that they're devoting to this. I think that could speak good things for the dogs here later on this fall. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. We are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. Just happy to have you with us. And a big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, They equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. That's such a valuable thing that matters so much when it comes to this time of year, you know, bugs and stuff like that. You don't want that, you know, what's supposed to be outside getting on the inside, hot weather there too, and what's supposed to be inside, you want it to stay on the inside. You don't want it creeping outside with poorly fitted windows and doors or just, you know, windows and doors that are of a lower quality. That's why you want to trust Pella windows and doors been recognized as really the market leader here in the Atlanta area for a long time. Survey after survey has indicated that's true. Savvy home buyers and homeowners know the Pella product and they know what that does to increase the curb appeal and potentially even the resale value of their home. That's what Pella Window and Door Georgia is all about. Also, for the rest of this week, you can take advantage of great savings there too. You can get $200 off windows, $400 off doors, or payments as low as $99 a month. You have between now and in August 18th to take advantage of that great opportunity. That's a few more days there on that. So make sure you check them out. The Experience Center is open in Duluth. That's Monday through uh, Friday from 9 to 5, 10 to 4 on Saturdays. You can uh, check that out there, or you can find them online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Expert can walk you through the entire process, let you know about your installation options. It's a no-pressure situation. They just want to ed- educate you on what makes Pella Window and Door of Georgia viewed to be the best. You can do that with all of them today. All right, we're going to get John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. Before that, though... Let's go around the doghouse, assisted today by AAA, and I had a rare experience for me on Saturday. Uh, I was both in attendance for the brief window that the media got to view on Saturday, and I was also able to attend the Kirby Smart press conference later on that afternoon. I'll get to the press conference, my interaction with Kirby there. We'll do that before 
we're done on the program. But let me kind of tell you like what I did for the practice observation period on Saturday. I've told our video audiences before that when it comes to like one of these short windows, it's very easy to get caught doing nothing. You either got to focus on one thing or like a lot of little things. And I just chose to sort of spend my entire time. I wanted to focus in on the wide receiver position. And some of this for me is in the aftermath of the Arian Smith injury. Obviously, that's another guy that, boy, it seems like injuries have been kind of a part of his story for a while here at UGA. And you'd love nothing more for that not to be true. But it sounds like, you know, surgery on this ankle. It sounds like he's going to be dealing with that for a few weeks here, whether it ends up being the entirety season or the majority of the season or part of the season. One way or another, Smith's going to be kind of on the shelf for the dogs here for a little bit. So I was kind of left to wonder, you know, what is it that, is going on for Georgia at wide receiver. I had a little bit of a theory, kind of a crackpot theory kind of emerging in my mind, and I wanted to sort of see if what I saw on on the practice field kind of gave voice to some of that. And so the drill that you see is, and this is actually probably also one of the most fun things to watch when you're just sort of in that sort of brief period of time that the media gets a chance to see practice. You see quarterbacks working with pass catchers. You got the wide receivers there, but they also kind of work the tight ends into that you know position room too or that, that, that drill work, too. It's a little bit of a play-polish type drill, I guess you might call it. Just, you know, quarterbacks throwing to the receivers, receivers running their routes. And, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like I know what Georgia has at tight end. I was trying to watch the receivers in particular, but I tell you, you just can't take your eyes off these tight ends. You just can't. And, you know, Darnell Washington looks like, I mean, he literally makes a lot of the guys that stand near him look like children sometimes. He's just that big. And you obviously have your eyes drawn towards him. I, I think that's true for Eric Gilbert a little bit there as well. The other guy, though, that I just came away from having watched a little bit of this practice really kind of taken aback by was Oscar Delp. And we saw Delp had a good day G-Day. Uh, but seeing Delp, you know, going through this practice, first of all, he looks the part. He's very you know, a very much an imposing presence out there on the field, very big filled out guy, you know, to be an incoming freshman. Sometimes you might, you know, expect less than that, but he's obviously been here for a few months now. The nutrition, the strength and conditioning program is clearly working really well for him. And all of a sudden I start having to rethink this a little bit about Oscar Dell because my assumption is, well, incoming freshman, he's going to be slotted behind the, the Gilberts and the Washingtons along with a Brock Bowers, obviously expect to have a great season. But I'll tell you this, you put Oscar Delp on a lot of college fields with a lot of college teams, I think he just about would have stood, you know, been a standout amongst almost any place you want to put him. That's how sort of good I thought he looked going through a very simple drill. I'm not telling you he's, he lit the world on fire going through this drill, but there's just a little, a, a little bit of a wow factor about the way that he looks. And I thought it was kind of also funny that Kirby Smart and talking about how the pass catchers performed during the scrimmage. He also briefly mentioned Delp there as well, maybe echoing some of the stuff that I'd seen with my own eyes. This is Smart from Saturday on those pass catchers. Dylan Bell made some plays today. Jackson Meeks made some plays today. Um, if you're counting him as young, because nowadays sophomores not young. Sophomores old. You know, 40% of our team, 35% of our team is freshmen. So, uh, you know, I thought Dylan Bell stepped up and made some plays and flashes. Oscar made some plays at tight end, counting him as a you know, receiving weapons. So those guys continue to do a good job, but we just don't have the depth at receiver. You know, I thought Rosemey did a good job today. AD made a few plays. Um, but, we, you know, we're going to have to be really good on the perimeter to be explosive. Uh, yeah, we've got good tight ends, but we've got to be good outside to, to complement the tight ends. And we need to get Denylon back, and we need to get Dylan Bell rolling 
to get where we need to get it wide out. And at some point this week, we're going to focus a little bit more on Dylan Bell because Smart obviously mentions him a lot there. But the theory that I was kind of operating on going into that practice on Saturday is, is that I think there's a real opportunity for pass catchers at Georgia. And who knows? Maybe these tight ends just really are just the best pass catchers on the team. And maybe they'll dominate the stat sheet for Georgia here this year. But Smart obviously says, you know, you got to have more from the receivers too. So here's what I went back and looked at. Let me see if I can explain this in a way that makes it make sense. So if you look at Kirby Smart's six years so far at Georgia, he's going into year seven here right now, that of the top three receivers in each year under Kirby, in every year but one, he has had one guy of his top three receivers who was also a top three receiver based on yards from the previous year there as well. In 2019, though, none of Georgia's top three receivers were top three receivers the previous year, too. So let me say this in a different way. Of the 18 potential spots for top three receivers in the six years that Kirby Smart's been at Georgia, 12 of those 18 were not top three receivers the previous year. So you've got a lot of changeover in terms of your top receivers year over year at Georgia. Now, that's a pretty common thing in college football across the board now because of productive receivers move on to the NFL unproductive receivers maybe move on to the transfer portal so what Georgia has going on in terms of the transient nature of the wide receiver position or just the pass catching position is probably not all that unique compared to the rest of college football now but what it does speak to in 2022 is is that there will be opportunities for newcomers whether it's a newcomer just arriving here for the first time like Dylan Bell more on him later on this week or a guy coming back after being away like Dominic Blaylock, or Kiers Jackson, who played last year but not a ton at wide receiver because he was dealing with his own injury, or a guy like Oscar Delt, maybe kind of sort of sort of jumping the line a little bit and, and getting more opportunities than maybe you would expect a true freshman to get, just given the depth that Georgia has the tight end position. I think for now we don't quite know who it's going to be, but I think you could expect to see some new faces dominating the stat sheet for Georgia when it comes to catching the ball if this season is like previous seasons under Smart. And so I tried to watch that myself when I was at practice on Saturday, and as we all kind of watch and listen closely to the things that take place throughout the rest of this camp for UGA, that's one of those topics that I think we'll all continue to be uh, quite curious about. That's Around the Doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA, and of course we're happy to have AAA as a part of what we do here around here but also happy to have them when it comes to their great insurance products there as well. You trust them for roadside assistance, but you can also think about them when it comes to your auto insurance too. Because when you switch and save your auto insurance with AAA, you can save on average $472 right here in Georgia. So, dog fans, get your auto insurance through AAA, and you can save some real good money. So call this number, 833-718-2075. I'll give it to you one more time. 833-718-2075 and that'll give you a chance to save big bucks on your auto insurance when you switch and save with our friends at AAA. All right, it's great to have you here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. We got a fun show going to roll on for you before we're done. I told you this. There is an issue that's been on my mind a lot as of late, kind of a benchmark that I think that Georgia needs to achieve here this season. And I asked Kirby Smart directly on Saturday if he thought that was also true, or at least I gave him a chance to say whether he thought that was true. And he gave a very interesting answer both about his expectations for the team and what he saw on Saturday when it comes to the pass rush. So we're going to talk to Kirby Smart about that here coming up 
in a couple of minutes' time. Also, a lot of Florida fans kind of flying all over the place online, uh, crawling out of their caves to kind of give me some grief about some recruiting wins they picked up over the course of the weekend. So we'll talk about why they were coming at me over the weekend. We'll do that before we're done here today. But for now, on everything related to UGA after its first scrimmage, after kind of where things stand with the uh, preparations for the Oregon Ducks and the uh, position battles and all that's going on there, let's get ready to talk to our buddy John Stinchcomb. We call this Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We're glad to have John and all of you on board with us here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Always great to have John's insight here on Dog Nation Daily. And uh, tap dance there for a minute, make sure we got him ready to go. And now we're rocking and rolling and ready to go. John, thanks for your time. And if you don't mind, I kind of want to begin with some of what we kind of heard from Georgia on Saturday. And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe you were in attendance on Saturday. But if you were, we'll certainly look forward to uh, hearing from you about that. But I don't believe... Uh, you were. Um, but the point is, uh, a little bit of a turf toe type situation for Tate Ratledge, who's been, you know, working at right guard, and I think has the potential to be one of the tone setters for Georgia with its offensive line. I, I like Ratledge a lot, but not there and not available on Saturday. Not maybe as serious as the Liz Frank situation he was dealing with before. But what kind of toe turf, or not, or I should not toe turf, but turf toe. What kind of turf toe limitation do you think that could provide? for uh, Tate Rattledge. Is that something you'd be worried about, knowing that it held him out on Saturday? Yes. Uh, turf toe, I don't know the degree as to which um, his his ligaments are, are damaged and that kind of thing, but turf toe can linger. It's, it's become quite a um, pain for a lot of folks. It's ended some careers. I'm thinking of Jonathan Ogden and Carl Nix or two offensive linemen specifically that massive, huge humans that towards the end of their career – um, ended up stopped playing because of turf toe. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm giving doomsday scenarios right there in comparison to what Tate has, hopefully. Um, you know, it's like most things that are ligament-related that you, know, you treat them and, and get better. But it certainly isn't something that um, is should be turned a, a, a blind eye to. If you don't address it, it can become a, a real issue. So uh, I feel confident that, Ron Corson and the staff over there, the medical staff, will get take the, the care that he needs. But, you know, when you think about these 300-pound men, you're talking about just a toe. Well, it's also the foundation yeah. that you build that entire structure on. So um, it, it's one that you, you have to really stay on top of and, and address early so it doesn't linger all season long. Yeah, it seems like this time of year we talk a lot about uh, offensive linemen and their feet, whether it's – you know, them taking care of their feet or their feet sort of stepping on, you know, other people. You know, these foot injuries are a pretty common thing this time of year, and it seems like for some of the skill position players, sometimes that kind of comes because maybe, hey, you know, in a rep situation, whatever else, a foot sort of gets stepped on. Like, both in terms of establishing the base for the offensive lineman that they do stand on, but also that little tap dance that goes on of linemen learning to move together, and that's kind of what this time of year is about. Pretty common sometimes for a quarterback to get that foot stepped on. That's kind of the not-quite-so-much-fun part of, of this time of year as these big offensive linemen learn to where to put their feet, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm laughing because I think back the first few years that I played next to Jari Evans, who 
has the potential to be a, a Hall of Famer, just a great talent. But coming out of Bloomsburg, his technique was not all that great. I'll just tell you, <laughs> yeah, just great player, very natural. Technique, not great. So he would constantly step on my left foot. We're playing on the right side of the line. He'd step on my right foot to the point where I, I broke my – I broke. He broke my little toe. And, you know, what do you do for a little toe? It's broken. You can't do anything about it. It's not like you're taping it up or buddy wrapping it. So I'm playing with this broken toe. He continues to just crush it. I'm just getting – not like I'm in tears. It's, it's you know, it's broken toe that's getting mashed by – a 340-pound mammoth next to me on a daily recurring basis. So the equipment guys ended up making me this, like, hard plastic cover for my shoe so that every time he stepped on it, it wasn't re, uh, re-breaking at the, that, that toe there. So, yeah, uh, it con- uh, creating that concerted effort across five guys is, is sometimes more of a challenge than people realize but uh yeah it's there's a lot of toes getting stepped on out there so i've talked to a lot of people who saw the scrimmage and for some of those people they've seen this kind of scrimmage over the course of the last few years and one of the things that i've kind of heard is is this was a way better day for the offense than maybe some of the scrimmages they've seen in the past kirby smart kind of echoed that himself a little bit on saturday and, you know, I guess you can take that to kind of mean a few things. First of all, if you uh, Georgia fan hoping for an upgraded performance on offense as good as the dogs were a year ago, maybe this is evidence of that. Or maybe it's evidence of, hey, you know, Georgia's in the midst of trying to replace a lot of guys defensively. We've all joked in the past about, well, is it good news for the, the side that wins or bad news for the side that loses? But the sense that I got from hearing from people who were there, it was definitely a different looking scrimmage they'd seen in the past where, hey, maybe in previous years, you might go all day with seeing hardly any touchdown score, but it sounded like there were more of that on Saturday, at least based on kind of the account that I was given. What do you take from that, that it sounds like the offense had a far better day than the defense did? I'm not surprised. I think the offense is further along. You have uh, so many more pieces that are returning, and you've progressed to the point where you know, your quarterback, Stetson Bennett, has actually been in the system for a year and knows how to win and, and at high levels. You just added pieces where the, the defense is in a little bit more of a rebuilding situation because of the number of different players and personnel that they've replaced. Now, there's that's no excuse. You can't just say, well, it's uh, certainly Oregon isn't going to come and give you any caveats of um, you're replacing pe- uh, pieces. Everyone is. So it wouldn't, it's not surprising at this scrimmage that, that the offense might be a little further along in, in their development and the chemistry that they've created. But that doesn't mean sound the alarm uh, that, you know, the defense is so far behind and what are they going to do? That's the, the nature of this beast. And in some scrimmage situations, there's going to be a winner and a loser. And I would honestly be a little bit surprised at this point in training camp if, you know, the offense wasn't able to create opportunities and you, you weren't able to, to move the ball. But um, I think that will only get a little bit tighter as you're identifying the 11, 13, 15 guys on defense that are going to rotate in there and become your, your main uh, contributors once season starts. 
I mentioned the fact that I got a chance to be there on Saturday, at least for the media viewing portion of the practice prior to the scrimmage. It's pretty unusual for me to be in Athens because I'm obviously here in the Atlanta area during the week. Don't get a chance to be a part of the, you know, during the week coverage that goes on there at UGA. But on Saturday, I had a chance to be there and I wanted to watch the pass catchers in particular. And I was trying to watch wide receiver when I could, as I joke with our audience before, it's sort of hard to take your you know, eyes off the tight ends. They just cast such an imposing shadow out there on that practice field. You end up sort of looking at them even when you're trying to look at something different. But I, I do think, uh, John, there's both an opportunity for a wide receiver to step up, and if you listen to Kirby a little bit on Saturday, a necessity for that there as well, that if you want to get this big production out of the tight ends that's possible, well, you've got to have those outside threats that keep the defense honest here. And you know, maybe that's more of A.D. Mitchell and Ladd McConkey, kind of like Georgia got last year. Maybe that means, you know, you know, guys coming back from injury like Kiaris and Dominic Blaylock can be a part of this. Dylan Bell's a, a freshman who's kind of earning some chatter. Our, our buddy Terrence Edwards has talked some uh, about him even prior to the, the buzz that he's gotten here this summer. But when I look at wide receiver, John, I see both the opportunity for someone to emerge and probably the necessity that someone – really kind of has to emerge if this Georgia offense is going to fire on all cylinders the way that it's capable of, and I'm not quite so sure that stands here at the moment. Well, I, I think if you look at historically this Todd Munkin offense, wide receivers specifically, they rotate guys in constantly. So the 80 Mitchells of the world from last year where, uh, you know, he's a young guy comes in and you're just looking at various ways to highlight his skill set I think we can expect this, the same, if not some, you know, very similar, um, from a deployment sta- status and uh, for this offense that they're going to ro- rotate guys in and try to find the best situation to highlight their skill set. So, even though um, there might not be that one guy, I mean, obviously there's some concern if you're stretching the field and Arian Smith isn't available um, just because of his elite speed, which you know sounds like there's some injury concern there but um, there is a number of young guys that you know if you're looking at a full profile they might not be ready for you know 60 snaps a game but can they add you know 10 or 12 and bring value when they're out there I think that's probably more realistic for some of these younger guys to, to get those opportunities we heard a very specific compliment from Kirby Smart uh, on Saturday that I think could matter for the dogs here this fall. I want to talk to you about that here in a moment, John. Before that, let me remind folks about something really fun that's going on at dognation.com right now. It's our Atlanta Braves fan poll where Georgia fans get a chance to weigh in at dognation.com on their opinion about UGA for the upcoming year. In fact, we have a great one related to fantasy football drafts. A lot of folks getting ready to have their fantasy draft. And one of the fun things about the NFL right now is there are so many former dogs so prominently mentioned among the very best in the NFL including your fantasy drafts there too. So which dog do you think is going to be drafted first in fantasy leagues here this year? Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift, George Pickens, or maybe even McCole Hardman. So you've got a few answers to choose from there at dognation.com. You can participate in our Dog Nation fan poll presented by the Atlanta Braves. And don't forget, we're going to be contacting our fourth winner here coming up for that family four-pack of tickets for the Atlanta Braves. And a lot of you have already kind of claimed your prize there on that. If you have, congratulations. But if you haven't, you can get signed up for your chance to win there at dognation.com there as well. So uh, register, and 
you could be f- soon finding out you're a winner of our family four-pack of tickets for the Atlanta Braves as the Braves join us for our Dog Nation fan poll right there on the pages of dognation.com. So, John, before you joined us, one of the things that we play, some audio of Kirby Smart, in particular talk about Kenny McIntosh, but kind of a similar statement about Dejon Edwards there as well. And we know the situation for Georgia running back. You've got a couple of incoming freshmen, Brandon Branson Robinson, Andrew Paul, both those guys getting folks excited, and I think with good reason. We're going to talk more about them later on the week. Kendall Milton, I think everybody believes, is a very fun running back for Georgia and a very valuable piece of this Georgia team. Was not able to practice on Saturday because of a hamstring issue, but when he's healthy, he's clearly a weapon for the dogs. But on Saturday, chatter about Kenny McIntosh, chatter about Dejon Edwards, and the compliment that Smart uses is, McIntosh has had a great camp. Uh, Dejon Edwards has had a very good camp. John, that's one of those statements that kind of means something to me because I think this time of year is about setting the tone for the season as much as, as it is about learning a playbook or getting your body in shape. It's about kind of establishing the identity for your team. Clearly last year, that's something that Georgia did very well, both in terms of the chemistry and bond it had together, but also in terms of the way in which it played the game, sort of a selfless team-first attitude. That sometimes sounds like coach speak. For Georgia a year ago, I think it was real. And I think that on the offensive side this year, you know, guys like McIntosh and Edwards who've shown some patience about being reserve players but now in maybe a bigger role here this season, I get the sense from Kirby on Saturday that he thinks they could help set that tone in part for that position group at least for Georgia here this season. And I do think that could matter for the dogs. Do you agree? Uh, yes, I think there is a number of really, really talented players in that running back room that could help Georgia, and that's a good thing, and, and it's going to be a needed thing because uh, when you have Stetson returning I, and, and this balance, you have so many weapons and the edge and, and tight end. I know we're, this is a conversation about running backs, and all of a sudden I've talked about quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends, but I think you look – at the way offenses are played right now, and you get opportunities for, for the run game from the pass game and vice versa. We have uh, historically created opportunities in the pass game based on the run. I don't think that changes, but I do think the balance starts to shift a little bit. The ask for Stetson Bennett isn't going to be to throw the ball 35, 40 times a game like, like quarterbacks are in other places. So the reliance on running backs, uh, though it might might become a little more balanced, to be able to have guys that that play at a high level um, is a staple at Georgia, and it's not just one, right? It's not that one running back. And and I agree. All the reports that I've heard is is Kenny McIntosh has looked like um, that next guy that that Georgia continually has at running back that you know you feature and then you complement around it. You know, the, the scrimmage certainly did get the attention for uh, Branson and Paul fans just because of their physicality and the ability to uh, make that one cut and break tackles, which, you know, I, that that's the fun part of this time of year is this isn't seven-on-seven seven, uh, underwear ball that it's all pretty and, you know, everything's nice. Now you get guys that can run over some folks and break through tackles that uh, for the past few months when it's just basically a very uh, a glorified version of flag football it's no longer the case so you like that kind of diversity in your in your room of guys that you know certainly can catch 
the ball out of the backfield and make plays in space, but um, when it's between the tackles, they can break through some of those arm tackles and get you the, the yards that come uh, for big plays after the, the tackles do get broken. John, great stuff. Thank you so much for uh, being here here today. I love your insight on everything related to the dogs. I know you're as excited as I am about the start of the upcoming season. going to be here before you know it, and I can't wait for it. So thank you for your time, and we'll look forward to speaking to you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia again very, very soon. Always enjoy it, B.A. Go dog. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Love that insight from John Stinchcomb. Always great to have him as a part of our program and what we're doing around here each and every day. So that's really good stuff. And now let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Obviously, it's a great time to be a part of a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. I had a chance to talk to one of our folks of the day. He's got, hey, I got cruise vacation coming up. I'm being on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. He says, going to be on Harmony of the Seas. And Harmony of the Seas is actually the ship that I was on this past February, and I, I loved it. To me, I love the big ships. I love, and, and for Royal Caribbean, like the biggest class of all is that Oasis class of ship because you've got so many different distinctive neighborhoods. I mean, it's really like being in a city on the sea. When you think about, like, the Boardwalk neighborhood, it's almost like being on Coney Island or something like that. You've got, like, a carousel that you can ride, like, right there in the ship, but you've also got a, a lot of cool, like, specialty restaurants kind of around that area and it really is like being in a Coney Island-style boardwalk, except you're on the cruise ship. You've also got like a Central Park neighborhood on a ship like that. It's so much, so quaint and enjoyable to walk around that, you know, in the evening or at nighttime because you've got like the real live like foliage and it looks like a park. It's once again a lot of cool specialty restaurants. It's it's literally like walking through a city, and yet you know you're uh, on a cruise ship. The Royal Promenade kind of works the same way. That's kind of an interior portion of the ship, but it's also when you're walking through there, you feel like you are, you know, it could be anywhere. I mean, it, it's an amazing experience to know that all of this takes place on a cruise ship. It's one of the reasons why I think you ought to just explore. You ought to uh, learn more about all the options that are available to you, all the really cool stuff there. Our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you out with that. You can check them out online at tcava.com. That's tcava.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. Uh, that's 770-952-8300 and get booked up on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation today. I think that's uh, just a great time as we head towards the end of 2022. Start thinking early 2023. you got some great opportunities to take advantage of a great, great uh, chance to be back on the seas again with our friends at Royal Caribbean. I hope you'll do just that. All right, let's go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. i got to tell you, I am really starting to get a little worried about Florida fans. I really am. I, I feel like that... They are really showing themselves to be, I think, less than what they once were. And listen, this was a really good weekend for Florida. Around here, we don't have to, you know, hide from that. We speak the truth. We call balls and strikes wherever the pitch may land. And Florida got itself three in the the last few days alone, three very good defensive line uh, prospects. Cameron James out of IMG, Will Norman, Kelby Collins is a name that obviously was of note for Georgia fans. And for right now, all three of these guys stand as Florida commits. That's a that's a nice run for Florida in recruiting. And from time to time, this sort of happens where like a lot, like, like a fan base will kind of grab onto one of my old tweets and they'll like come firing it back at me like years later about something. And there were like a lot of Florida fans kind of like firing back at me uh this week because of something i said about billy napier at one point in time on based on whatever they interpreted that tweet to mean they all think they're really funny and cute when they do that which is fine i, I don't even really notice because i don't have notifications turned on, on my phone so you can 
you know, for the most part, attack me on Twitter all you want to. I will literally never be aware of it because I don't have notifications turned on. But uh, the point here is, is that if you look at these wins for Florida in recruiting as of late, the James, the Norman Collins, they're all good, all four-star defensive linemen. It's the kind of thing that Florida, at, at the very least, has to have to even be somewhat competitive. But let's not forget this here. While Florida has a large number, a four-star commits for its uh, 2023 class, it is only now just entered the top ten. It only has two current commits who are rated on the 24-7 sport composite player rating. Only two players currently rated within the top 100. Like, this is essentially right now for Florida a Dan Mullen class. Congratulations to uh, Sling Blade here, Billy Napier. He has worked his way back up to a Dan Mullen style of class. The coach that was fired for not being a very good recruiter. Well, what Napier is doing is essentially right now producing a a Dan Mullen style class. Now, if you're a Florida fan, you say, what about all them 17, four stars, whatever else? Y'all, go look at other classes in recent SEC history. I mean, a few years ago, Gus Malzahn had like 17 or 18 four stars in his recruiting class. They didn't win anything because if you're talking about four stars who are rated in like the 300s overall, and that's going to have a hard time allowing you to keep pace with the schools that at one point in time you would have considered your contemporary. Certainly a rival like Georgia or even a program across the league like a LSU or an Alabama, the teams like that, LSU who currently Florida plays every year, if you don't recruit better than you're recruiting right now, you're going to have a hard time keeping pace. And so, you know, the idea that you would celebrate being in the top ten, that's what you're supposed to do. It's the same thing like these Florida fans who will sometimes kind of pop in our show and say, what are you going to do when we come out and beat Utah? You're an SEC team hosting a team from Salt Lake. You're supposed to win that game. You're supposed to beat Utah. SEC teams don't lose week one, week two, non-conference games to, to power five opponents. The SEC has a long history of dominating in those contests. If you do lose to Utah, don't show your face around here anytime soon. Um, you're going to be a point spread favorite in the game. I don't care how highly rated Utah is to start the season. You're playing at home. They're traveling 2,000 miles to get here. You're supposed to win that game. And Florida being ranked in the top 10 in recruiting right now, that's what you're supposed to do. They have, you know, already about two-thirds of the roster, former four- and five-star recruits anyway. So the idea that anyone's going to fall all over themselves because Billy Napier has collected a handful of four-star recruits, including, you know, three within the last couple of days, which is not an insignificant feat. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not downplaying this. I'm just downplaying the overall trajectory for the Florida recruiting class overall. If all you're really talking about is a couple of guys right in the top 100, then you've had a good but not great recruiting cycle. Now, we'll see if that changes in the time that comes. But uh, for now, it's good. It's not great. It's at the bare minimum of what Florida should be expected to do. And that's really, for me, the most troubling thing for a lot of these Gators fans is you just really get the impression they've forgotten what they used to be or maybe they no longer aspire to be that anymore or maybe more accurately stated, no longer believe those kinds of aspirations are even possible for a program like Florida. That's how much guys like Jim McElwain and Dan Mullen have eroded the trust of the so-called Gator Nation. So that's the scenario that Billy Napier inherits there at Florida, and we'll see how he handles with all of that. But it's just amazing the meager level of accomplishment that causes Florida fans want to try to spike the football here these days it is not what it used to be there for that program i thought it was very interesting to see uh kentucky coach mark stoops fire back again at john calipari was asked about the situation and was ready with the answer and let me tell you something he is not backing down on all this and 
I got to tell you, I find myself solidly on Team Stoops in this. You know, he kind of used the same line that uh, Jim Harbaugh used about Ryan Day about a program that thinks it was born on uh, that was born on third base, but thinks it hits a triple or has hit a triple. And in the case of Calipari, I sort of think that's kind of true. I mean, in life, some people would say we kind of you know, can be divided into like say makers and takers. And I think that Calipari sort of thinks he's a maker, but in aggregate, he's actually probably more of a taker in terms of you know, the situation that he left UMass with and Memphis with after he left the program or the way in which he inherited a Kentucky program that really is truly among the, the absolute elite blue bloods in the history of that sport. But what has he won recently, including losing the first round to St. Peter's this past year? I think the way in which Calipari sees himself and the way in which increasingly folks around Calipari see him I think there's a huge disconnect there. And I think there are a lot of people who say relative to the resources and the cost of doing business, a guy like Mark Stoops is actually having more success with the football team than Calipari is with the basketball team. And there are a lot of Kentucky fans who I think get a little restless. I've told you before, I think being a Kentucky basketball fan might be the most unsatisfying experience of any kind of sports fandom whatsoever. You get great recruits. They go on to be great in the NBA. They do nothing while they're at Kentucky, and I think you have to point the finger of blame on that to Calipari. It's one thing if you want to be a talent scout and run a, you know, an AAU-type training facility. It's another thing if you actually want to win games at the college level. And Calipari, in my mind, is not doing nearly enough of that to have anything to say to anybody, much less a guy like Mark Stoops, who, relative to the resources at Kentucky, is actually winning more than almost any Kentucky football coach has any right to be able to say that he's doing. So... Put me on the side of Stoops there on that, and good to see him firing back at Calipari once again. And also, the fact that this soap opera is not really dying down anytime soon. We're in a different age now where, yeah, Jimbo and Saban go back and forth very publicly with each other, and now in fighting at Kentucky, the two high-profile coaches going back and forth with each other. A lot of stuff that used to be kept in-house ain't really being keep, kept in-house anymore, and I think that's kind of interesting. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And... Turning our attention back to the dogs here just for a moment. So here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, I mentioned I don't get to go to Athens very much. Don't live in Athens. I attend the games there and go to practice whatnot when I can, but I'm always here doing a show. So that doesn't give me much opportunity to be there in Athens, but was there on Saturday. And I wanted to pose a question to Smart because Smart mentioned that he was super thrilled. I think that's what he said. Super thrilled with the pass rush that he saw from his team there on Saturday. And he goes into more detail in a moment as to why, but it gave me a chance to kind of ask him about one of the things we talk about around here, which is, hey, if you look at Georgia defensively last season, some of the important statistical benchmarks were actually not too dissimilar from previous Georgia years. Georgia has had years in the past, including the last full season in 2019, where it gave up almost as few points per game as it gave up last year. Or yards per rush, they've had moments which they've given up almost as little per carry as they gave up last year. Yards per pass attempt, they've had moments in the past where they've almost matched what they did a year ago. That for as great and historic as the Georgia defense was thought to be last season, the truth is is that Georgia has had years where a lot of the key statistics related to that defense were actually somewhat similar. However, there is the one stat for 2021 that stands out way from the pack of everything else. Georgia had 49 sacks last season. That's a 15-game schedule, but still 49 sacks, a mammoth total, far more than Georgia's had in any previous season under Kirby Smart, including back in 2017, the other year in which Georgia made the playoff and played a full 15-game schedule. Georgia's never had the sack total that it had last year under Smart, 
And I asked Smart, understanding that you had this big sack total a year ago, do you have any kind of internal program goals for matching a similar number this season? And Smart says, no, we don't. But he, I'll give you the full answer here from Kirby. There's not internally a goal. We don't put a sack goal. We put an effective quarterback goal. And we all know that's not fun for you guys because you want to talk sack totals. We want to talk batted balls, interceptions, knockdown, hurries. You know, you affect the quarterback with multiple rushes. And, uh, you know, Robert Beal is having a quietly good camp, which is good for us. Um, a lot of times these scrimmages get skewed. Now, last year was a outlier because of the front and the people we had. But these scrimmages get skewed because you take so many snaps. Pass rushing is an effort play. And a lot of sacks are what we call hustle sacks, effort sacks. You don't necessarily win, you give a great second effort. Well, there comes a point in the scrimmage today where they take so many snaps, nobody's fresh. You know, and the offense lineman stays in front of them. Uh, we didn't have, it reminded me of our old scrimmages where we didn't have great pass rush. Not because we don't have pass rushers, we just didn't have uh, the juice that we needed. And um, I can't say that it was like that last year, but it's been like that in years past. So let me just say this here really quickly. I don't take the idea that he didn't love the pass rush and the scrimmage to mean all that much for the reason that Smart stated there that, you know, listen, you try to simulate real football during a scrimmage. For the most part, those who were there will tell you it looks like football. However, when you are doing kind of the same thing over and over again, eventually the players do get fatigued. And I think there's even some chatter about how much certain players even played that might would have contributed to this pass rush situation. So a lot of that you sort of just sort of chalk up to kind of a scrimmage vibe. You don't make much out of that. However, if I would have had a chance in a conversation to kind of, you know, respond back to what Kirby said about affecting the quarterback and things like that, obviously we would all agree that affecting the quarterback is, is valuable. You want to be able to do that. You want to make the job of the quarterback tougher. But to me, and we hear coaches say this all the time, and my response in every single instance would be, while it's good to affect the quarterback and it's good to deflect passes, and clearly you want to do all that kind of stuff, uh, that creates opportunities for turnovers, interception, things like that. When you're facing a really good offense, you have to have negative plays. The most valuable thing about a sack is not that you affect the quarterback, although clearly you do. It's that you move the football backwards. And that's what Georgia defensively was so good at a year ago. They moved the football backwards. There were more drives for Georgia last season that the offense went negative than were resulting in a score. That's what Georgia did defensively last year. They moved people backwards more often than the offense moved into the end zone. And if you want to be some version of that here this year, you've got to find a way to replicate that through sacks and through tackles for loss. Now, deep down, I think Kirby knows that. I just don't think he wants to kind of put it out there that way, which is fine. That certainly is prerogative. But there is no substitution for a quarterback staring up, looking at the lights. There is no substitution for that. National championship game, that's what Bryce Young was dealing with. SEC championship game, you didn't get to him, and you know how that result turned out. So, Kirby may not want to give voice to that, and obviously he's got every right to say whatever he wants to. But deep down, we all know that what made Georgia special a year ago was the activity in the backfield. More tackles for loss, way more sacks than ever before. And if you want to have another great season from Georgia defensively, maybe not the greatest of all time the way that 2021 was, but maybe the greatest in the country here for this upcoming season, then a big sack total, a lot of activity behind the line of scrimmage, going to be paramount in importance for Georgia on defense once again. And as we say goodbye to you here today, we will do so with our golden shoe. Kind of a fun one related to what a lot of you enjoyed over the course of the weekend, some preseason football. How about the Pittsburgh Steelers? A little bit of interesting stuff coming out of there, including not for nothing here, George Pickens, a beautiful touchdown 
And there was a meme that kind of went around of Pickens sort of watching himself. You remember the draft day thing where Pickens was like shaking his head when he saw himself drafted on television? Had a little bit of a odd look to him that kind of went viral. And so now folks are taking that and they're showing the picture of the Pickens touchdown with that together. The NFL even made that their Twitter header, like the official NFL account, which probably has gosh knows how many millions of followers. They put Pickens right there on the top of that. The Steelers retweet that. Our buddy Tyler Bannister shares that with me to say good content. You better believe it is. We love to see Pickens over the weekend, man. That's great to see. Tyler, thanks for sharing that. We'll make you a golden shoe winner. Lousy, stinking Gators. Uh, how about 4,967 days? That's how long it's been since they won a national championship. And ironically, 4,967. Also, about the average rating for the uh, for the recruit in the Florida class here right now. No, I'm kidding when I say that. Uh, they got a couple four-stars. They're happy right now. Uh, let me see that Gator-Hater uh, countdown one more time, though. How about 75 days from now? Florida back in Jacksonville. Georgia back in Jacksonville. And uh, Billy Neighbors going to find out what the cocktail party rivalry is all about as the dogs beat up on them one more time. That is Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we will see you back here again tomorrow. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. In the comment section at DogNation.com, our uh, good buddy uh, J.D. Dogwalker checks in sharing the new SEC Shorts video. Seems like folks are liking that as teams get ready to board for the 2022 season. Of course, uh over the years george fans in particular have had some fun with the sec shorts crew because of the whole hope thing and everything else so they're having a good time with that right now and uh, jd shares that with us george on tap shares so we talked on our video side before the show began today about william perry one of our frequent commenters being a big gator hater and uh, george on tap shares old school picture of him putting um I guess the picture of Steve Spurrier and the portalettes around Jacksonville, and there's no shortage of those around Georgia-Florida weekend. So that's uh, pretty funny stuff from uh, William and, of course, our buddy Georgia on tap. Chew Dog, also going back to last Thursday show, on the subject of kind of maybe a little bit of media overlooking Jalen Carter maybe a little bit right now. And Chew Dog says, who cares what the media thinks preseason? It's what they think postseason that counts. And that is both one of those things that just sort of seems obviously true, but in particular for Georgia – that has a that's had a great level of truth to it because so much of what happened last year for Georgia were about stars that emerged over the course of a season. You know, guys became first round picks because of the way they played. Guys became, you know, national award winners or or first team all SEC because of what they did over the course of fifteen games. And it's one of the reasons why that we believe Georgia has a similar path that it can travel here this year. And if you don't, if you don't have those names emerge like if, if, if for some reason Jalen Carter were only to have a good season and not a great season then that would obviously be really bad for Georgia's hope for winning a national championship great players make up great teams and a lot of times as uh, Chew Dog says that's not about what was projected to happen in the preseason it's about what emerges and is identified over the course of a season then finally recognized fully when the season's done and sometimes the media gets it wrong the entire time but the nfl draft scouts they oftentimes don't and they did notice what five guys in that georgia defense did a year ago and carter may be in the position where he's sort of overlooked right now but my guess is is that he won't be overlooked by the folks that really matter those that are going to offer him millions of dollars via the nfl here when it's all said and done so good comments thanks for being a part of them big thanks to rs andrews 
for making it all possible, you can find them online, rsandrews.com, and you can get your water heater replaced the same day if you've got an issue with that. That's just the kind of service that R.S. Andrews provides. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised the price that's promised you can trust R.S. Andrews on that day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window Indoor of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.